Hi everyone, this is Working Title, the podcast where we, four intrepid, handsome, intelligent, and entirely fraudulent reviewers, watch and review IMDb's top 250 English language movies as of November 2019, going from bottom to top. So watch along with us, and... Some of these I may be too dumb to know until you spell it out for me. Let's see. Let me just think of what I'm going to say real quick. Fuck, that's hot. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, that is hot. <laughs> I, I can't do this. I just burnt the fuck out of my mouth. Ow. <laughs> All right, everyone. Welcome back to Working Title, the podcast where we review the top 250 English language IMDb movies. Um, this week, we're watching a real fun one. We're watching Ratatouille, of course, a, a Pixar movie, and our first, um, you might call it modern movie, in a quick minute. Um, this may actually be our first movie in the 21st century. We'll need to double check that. But It's our first it's animated movie, right? First animated movie, for sure. And uh, when did Big Fish come out? Oh, right. Big Big Fish was two thousands. Um, so Ratatouille Sin City and oh well, you know what? I forgot. Basically, that's those. a terrible point. God. <laughs> well, we're keeping it. <laughs> anyway, it is our most recent movie to date, so that's something. Um, two thousand seven movie, of course. It's a Pixar movie, first Pixar movie. I'm sure we'll see more as we go ahead. But uh, without further ado, let's. Uh, talk about ourselves let's introduce ourselves you've heard us all talk at this point but let's let you all know something fun about ourselves we're going to go around the room and describe our perfect days shane what's your perfect day one where i don't wake up dark (laughs) (laughs) probably one where i don't have the urgent poop feeling we're going to go with don't wake up. Jim, what's your perfect day? Uh, to me, a perfect day is a 2015 Spanish comedy drama film written and directed by Fernando <laughs> León de Aranoa. It is based on the novel Dejarse Llover by Paula Farias, starring Benicio Del Toro as Mambrú and Tim Robbins as B. Tim it's Robbins? Excellent movie, but we won't be reviewing it as we review only English language movies. Does Tim Robbins speak <laughs> Spanish? He plays B. <laughs> Mike, what's your perfect day? We're already off the rails. My perfect day is uh, about three years ago and uh, about five days, four hours, 26 minutes, 30 seconds. That was my perfect day. I can respect that. So it ended in another day? Every so- day ends in another day, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> and my perfect day is tomorrow. All right. So as we mentioned, we're talking about Ratatouille. The uh, I'm sure everyone knows about this movie at this point, except I had not watched it until this review. So it was new to me, but I think I'm the only one in this room who hadn't seen it yet. Uh, general overview, it's a rat that can cook. I don't know what more to say about that without diving into the plot. So without further ado, Mike, do you want to start telling us about what happens in this movie? That's the only note I had for this entire movie. No. Well, what'd y'all think of it? Rat cooks. <laughs> we'll close this one out with uh where do we rate this movie? <laughs> I don't know. Rat cooks is a pretty damn good movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's compelling. 
So the uh, this movie is this is a movie that is about the importance of the e- EHL, uh, essentially what it comes down to. The what? <laughs> the what? <laughs> should no should what? we know what that is? All right. Well, let's let's redo that line again so everybody <laughs> hears it properly. This is a movie about the importance of the environmental health officers that inspect for uh, cleanliness in kitchens. Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast where we talk <laughs> shit for about two hours and finally get to a movie. You guys are you, you're already blasting out my best stuff here. Like it's not going to go well from here on out. All right. <laughs> I got that's all I got. It's the one thing I wrote down. But I wasn't I... able to get much from this. All right. Uh, so plot wise, in this movie, uh, there's there's this is a movie about a rat who is good at cooking, just like Jack said at the very beginning. Um, a little bit more detail about it is this rat learns to cook from a world-famous chef named Gusto, who has this um, book that he wrote that says anybody can cook, and uh, Remy, the rat, takes this to heart and kind of, he's different than the rest of his family. He, is, he has this gift where he can smell ingredients and he can differentiate between uh, ingredients in foods, and he, he loves to smell things and combine ingredients, and his family really doesn't like this about him. So he has this kind of uh, odd person out of his rat family. It starts out in a cottage out in the middle of France on the countryside where Remy, the rat, and his family are living off of garbage. And the story kicks off when Remy decides to start picking up cooking due to Gusto's TV show that he watches in this old woman's cottage while she's asleep. And one day, while he's in the kitchen trying to make some new gourmet food, the lady wakes up. And uh, starts shooting her shotgun at the rat, trying to kill them, and reveals the the rat colony, and they all have to flee into the sewers, which then takes him to Paris. Yeah, it's um, only a Pixar movie where you'd have a a three foot six, eighty year old lady swinging a shotgun, gunning desperately at two rats, and it's funny. This is really a commentary on your Second Amendment rights and the importance of it in defending your home from rats. Shan, do you want to fill me in on what the French Second Amendment is? It's the, uh, well... I believe the Second Amendment in France is that everyone can cook. (laughs) (laughs) Bravo. The right to bear spatulas. (laughs) (laughs) Though, uh, the the idea that everyone can cook is a contentious point. Mm. Um, (laughs) Definitely uh, posited by Gusto, the, the chef, but very much opposed by... You might Anton call him the villain Ego. of the film. Yeah. Anton Ego, played by Peter O'Toole, who is, I think, my favorite part of this movie. What did he get Gusto on? Like, did he... So, he just gave him a bad review. At the very beginning, when he when was talking about Gusto, it went into uh, Ego uh, as a critic, a food critic. Just, just gave him one bad review, but Ego's, um, I guess, prowess of being like a good food critic devastated... Gusto's restaurant to losing a star, which led to Gusto uh, actually passing away and dying. Which, in per, in what they say, as per tradition, he loses another star for dying. <laughs> yeah. So the restaurant's down to three stars, and uh, kind of in dire straits, I suppose. Um, yeah. What to say about this uh, this scene before they all get to Paris? It's fun. It's clever. They really clearly set up the kind of conflict between Remy and his family. He wants to fit in, but doesn't quite fit in. That's a good setup. Right, and he can read. They don't really tell us 
why he can read. He just can, and he does. Yeah, and I think the whole shtick, too, is that he has an amazing sense of smell. He's not just a good cook, uh, but his sense of smell is what elevates him beyond just eating garbage. He can smell food, I guess. That doesn't sound very profound when I say it that way. The whole time I was thinking, I was like, this is how the bubonic plague got to Paris. Just a rat that thought he could cook. (laughs) So then at the beginning, he also uh, stops, I think, his brother from eating a poisoned garbage thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so he then becomes the village poison smeller. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, he succeeds his way into a terrible job. (laughs) <laughs> which is relatable for anyone who works in corporate America because the only reward for success is more work. <laughs> also, how much property damage do you think that lady caused by trying to kill one rat? Oh yeah. Like <laughs> let's, let's lay this out. So she sees a rat, grabs a shotgun. Now I've had mice in my house before and my first instinct was not to pull out a shotgun and uh, in the process blows out her ceiling revealing all of the rats and thousands. runs around. Yeah, no, thousands of rats. That It was incredible. <laughs> um, and th- I thought it was funny that all these rats had an exit strategy with makeshift rafts that oh, they had yeah. staged in the <laughs> river system. They had, like, code words. They're like, Red Dawn, Red Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty impressive. And uh, worth noting that Remy's dad is the colony leader I can't remember if you mentioned that, Mike, but uh, we've talked about nothing for long enough. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about how the rats get to Paris and what they do there. So in their their exit strategy, Remy ends up losing his family in the sewers, and they get swept away down different pipes. Uh, Remy is holding onto the book, and that's the reason why he lost his family. He's actually went back for the cookbook. Gusteau's cookbook is what he used as his raft. Um, So he loses his family. He goes down the sewer pipe. And as he's floating through the sewers, he starts to uh, hallucinate and seeing Gusteau as a chef coming out of the book. And he starts talking to him and he has this, this strange friendship with Gusteau's hallucination. And he decides to go up through the sewers and see where he's at. And it turns out that he's in Paris. But not only Paris, he has landed directly across the street from Gusteau's restaurant, which is now a three-star restaurant. And this goes into the next portion of the movie, which is where Remy meets uh, Linguini who's this kind of a dopey kid who's going to Gusteau's restaurant and he's trying to get a job there. And he has a letter from his his dead mother that he's giving to Skinner, who's the head chef now, after Gusteau's passed away. And the letter is asking Gusteau to give Linguini a job there since Linguini's mother had a fling with Gusteau back in the day. So it's kind of like a... It makes it sound like it's kind of a, a favor to this old fling that Gusteau had with this woman. And uh, he agrees to give him a job as a garbage boy, and Linguini starts to work at this restaurant, sweeping garbage and mopping up the floors, when he knocks over some soup, and in the process of knocking over soup, he starts to try to make up for it, and he starts throwing, like, random ingredients, and he makes this disgusting soup, and Remy's watching this all happen, and because Remy's this, you know, good chef now, from being able to smell things, he falls through the ceiling in his, like, panic to figure out how to save this soup, and ends up putting a bunch of greens into it, becoming this, I guess, weird little rat chef. And Linguini <laughs> sees this happening and ends up, like, hiding him from the fact that he, this this whole thing just occurred. Just to kind of get us started on this, 
I had a, a, a point of contention here. Um, Linguini knocks the soup over, right? Spills a bunch out, tries to fix it, fucks it up. And Remy comes back and actually fixes it, but just carrying little rat handfuls of ingredients. And this is a giant stockpot. We're talking like, I don't know, 15 The entire meters. night's worth of soup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's fixing it with little rat handfuls of ingredients. Now, I don't know if any of you or any of our dear listeners are experts on rat hands, but they're <laughs> tiny. And I do not understand how tiny little rat hands, rat armfuls of garlic, and it looks like scallions or something, are able to bail out this soup in a matter of seconds. It takes a fucking conveyor belt of rats to fix that. I will say, why does Linguini even do anything? Why didn't he just clean it up and just, like, mop away? Like, yeah. Why didn't he <laughs> tell them, hey, I spilled the soup? <laughs> right? I spilled some soup, guys. Might be. Well, it's because the head chef is absolutely mm. terrifying and is played by the most terrifying actor of all time. And by that, I mean the guy who played Scary Bilbo in Lord of the Rings. Scary Bilbo? (laughs) (laughs) There's a difference between not Scary Bilbo? Well, he played both, but Scary Bilbo was scarier than regular Bilbo. Oh. So, a couple things from me as we enter into the the main part of the film here. Um, A lot of violence, a lot more than I remember... We just kind of gloss over the scene where he's like escaping into Paris and he goes into like a hotel or something in the oh, rafters. Yeah. Mm. And then he over you you see a scene of just clear domestic violence resulting in the discharge <laughs> of a handgun. Oh, that's right. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So just a, a couple is arguing. The girl has the guy at gunpoint and he wrestles the gun out of her hand as it goes off and then they start making out she shoots a hole in the ceiling and remy goes back to watch yeah <laughs> up to this point there's been multiple firearms discharged which um, is new for pixar yeah and uh the more i the more i think about it i mean this whole movie i i, I took i took a list of this there were two firearms discharged one pancake related automobile accident possibly resulting in serious injury or death Multiple death threats, bribery, adultery, potential murder, there's a pyromaniac, excess consumption of alcohol, and the whole story is rooted in larceny and kidnapping. And, if I could add to that, they are really pushing don't steal. That's their, like, their one moral thing, <laughs> That's is the do moral, not steal. Yeah. Don't steal. Point a handgun at your significant other, fine, but particularly don't steal food. And I feel like there's a very uh, strong conflict between this and the other France-based story I know, which is Les Mis, <laughs> which seem to strongly advocate for the stealing of food. <laughs> and uh, this one, it's strongly prohibited. I just don't know where my moral compass falls between those two. Also, if you or a loved one has been involved in a pancake-related accident, please <laughs> You may be entitled to compensation. Uh. No, that's a good point. There's a lot of like things that, as an adult, you watch and you go, "Wait, what?" <laughs> yeah, because you little... wouldn't think about it because it's Pixar. And then the first time I watched this was like in 2007, so definitely glossed over all that. And then watching it the other night, it was like, "This is a lot of violence." In it. Yeah, 
And I was a little like, I get people don't like rats, but like people on the street are like, Jesus Christ, it's a rat! Like on the streets of Paris. <laughs> I feel like Paris would be pretty used to that. Yeah. Also, one more thing on the on the introduction, uh, especially of the characters. I like how they, you know, pick and chose who had a French accent and who doesn't. So, uh, huge point true. that I was going to make. There are four people in this movie that speak with a French accent. Everybody else is somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, who would we have? We have Gusto, who speaks with a French accent. Colette, who we'll meet shortly. And the, uh, the now head chef. Bilbo. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Linguini has no accent, right? Nope. Nope. Generic American. Just French American Linguini. <laughs> and uh, Remy sounds concerningly like Patton Oswalt. <laughs> I will forgive the rats for not having an accent. We do not have quite an understanding of the rat language or its, you know, construction yet, so. Yeah, it's... Oh, uh, all right, fair enough. I was going to say, it's weird that the rats all sound like they're like South Boston or, or Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's uh take us into the meat of the movie mike all right so this is the most important part this is where it kind of kicks off for what the uh the shit of this entire movie is is when remy and linguini uh become friends uh linguini's told he needs to kill remy because they they find him in this kitchen after the the soup debacle and linguini takes him to the river and instead of throwing him in he asked remy to help him learn how to make the soup skinner said that he can stay with the company and, and, the, and the chef in the kitchen as long as he recreates this soup that Remy had made and this critic loved. So Linguini and Remy now have this kind of uh, mutual responsibility to recreate this soup, and Remy agrees to help Linguini in making the soup. And this is where it turns into this weird um, Megazord situation where... <laughs> <laughs> Remy is is riding Linguini around the kitchen using his hair follicles to move his arms and learns how to become this amazing chef using his body as his surrogate. This is where I had a little bit of a problem. Is Linguini I I understand he's supposed to be over the top, but he gets like annoying almost, but he's supposed to be dumb, like clumsy, all these things. But he sees Remy toss two things into a pot and he goes, that rat's cooking. Like, he never actually saw Remy really cook. He was too busy falling and stuff. Like, I think they could have done better with, like, a scene where like, maybe it's, like, after hours or something he sees Remy cooking. Then you'd be like, oh, yeah, I could see how he's like, oh, my God, that rat's cooking. But he, he just puts it, like, together so fast. I think it's justified by the fact that the soup goes out to a customer and everybody loves it yeah and then he kind of makes the he makes a connection that the rat did something to it to make it to make it really good so then he just decides to put the rat on his head and what do you think about this pitch does did, would it make more sense to you if say perhaps um there was a scene where you kind of faded the focus and linguini had been watching uh remy cook the entire time yes because that's what happened what <laughs> Wait, wait a fucking second. Yes. I just, I thought he tossed a bunch of things in. Like, he was just... You know that whole montage where Remy was making the soup? Yeah. After the soup is done, the ca the camera pans over. I need to stop watching these movies late at night. <laughs> I have to say, June, this is my fault. 
So in the movie, Remy ends up making the soup, and what happens is this big montage of him like taking all the ingredients and like throwing them in through this. He's loving it. He's smelling it. He's throwing them in, and then it shows Linguini, who's been watching the entire time while he's making the soup. Weird. So, not only not only did Shane sleep through the movie, he slept through Mike's recap of the movie. <laughs> what we're gonna do next time is we're just gonna get a bootleg copy of the script, including directions for the camera, <laughs> and Mike will just read that out for Shane's benefit. <laughs> Linguini enters stage right. <laughs> camera changes focus. Linguini has been watching Remy the entire time. <laughs> Highlighted underscore. So Linguini agrees to agree with the rat, and they become a Megazord, which I also have a problem with. All right, tell us about that. I want you all to pull your hair and see if your arms raise up and start chopping. It's a, it's a it's actually a medical condition that he has. He has a very large tumor in the back of his brain, <laughs> making him easily controlled. His hair grows down into his brain. So I just want to uh, some, posit some other Pixar plots to you, Shane, and see if these strike you as plot holes. Mm. Um, toys come alive <laughs> when their owners aren't in the room. Do you take objection to this? And uh, how about this one? Cars are alive and have <laughs> eyes for windshields. <laughs> Do you consider an old man who ties a bunch of balloons to his house and floats to South America beyond belief? <laughs> Now that's a real story. I've seen the house. It's here in Seattle. No, the house is here in Utah. What? That's bullshit. There's a place here in Seattle that claims it's the house. No, it's a hundred percent here in Utah. It's in like. Oh my Harriman. god, Jack. Podcast aside, I'm actually upset because they they I've I've been to this stupid house and people have claimed it and there's like a tourist attraction here in Seattle that they say it's the house from that movie. It's an animated film. How could it be the house? Based right, on guys, so this week we're talking about the movie Up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are just like swerving all over the road on this one. We are the grandma just firing blindly into the house right now. <laughs> all right. So, um as as we noted, Remy controls um Linguini by sitting on top of his head under his hat and pulling his hair to manipulate him. And they practice this for a bit, so it, it's plausible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mike, were you going to cover the, the training montage in, in another section, or should we talk about that now? Because I no, want to no. talk about that. Yeah, go straight into it. The next part is just going to be about plot. <laughs> so, <laughs> Just that. Um, so they figure this out, right? They They initially discover this when Remy is on top of Linguini underneath his hat. And as a, the waiter comes through with a tray overhead, uh, Remy is able to control Linguini to duck him underneath, you know, the tray and spin him around kind of gracefully, kind of awkwardly. Um, and they realize they can solve their problem about Remy cooking, but uh, Linguini being the human being that way. And the way they train for this I mean, they, they start out simple enough, like cracking eggs and flipping pancakes and whatever. But I would never let a rat pulling my hair manipulate knives in my hands. After blindfolding me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Which seems highly unnecessary. <laughs> I don't feel like Linguini's all there, though, because the entire montage, he was just giggling. Like, he must know he's holding a knife. You're going to feel a knife in your hand. And he's just like, ha, 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 ha. That is only one of the many problems I have with the Linguini character. My, my big problems come later. All right, Mike, take us forward. All right, so after Remy and Linguini kind of 
figure out how to cook with the uh, the the power of the hair. Um, it goes into the plot with um, Skinner, who is the head chef, who's now owning Gusto's restaurant, and he finds out that the letter that Linguini gave him to ask for a job from his mother actually says that Linguini is Gusto's uh, illegitimate son, and in Ligui in Gusto's will. He has it specifically stating that uh, the next of kin to him will be the owner of his all of his restaurant and his establishment. So Linguini actually is, by law, in charge of this establishment. And Skinner really wants to keep this a secret. He brings in a lawyer. He does a DNA test to make sure that this isn't you know, some kind of plot set up. But Skinner starts to become very suspicious of Linguini. And he thinks that he's some kind of genius who's trying to mess with him. To get him to like go crazy, so he'll give up his hold on this restaurant and give it back to Linguini. Did you mention the uh, the Chef Boyardee thing? We're like, oh no, so no, that's a great point. So Skinner has turned Gusto's restaurant into, um, <laughs> he's trying to get the most, uh, how'd you call it? He's he's just selling out. He's 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 turned Gusto's face into a burrito stand, a pasta stand, a Corn dog, like he's just selling out Gusto's face for for profit for frozen food. Yeah, mm-hmm. for frozen foods. And uh, during this whole thing, like Luigi meets this this woman named Colette, who is the chef that kind of sticks up for him. And Skinner says, "Well, now Colette, you're in charge of training Linguini how to be a chef." And they want Linguini to reproduce the food that he made that night that the critic loved it. And that's where Remy comes into play, where Linguini now is having to pretend to be this amazing chef, learn under Colette, also produces amazing food by Remy, and Skinner is out to get him because they now know that Linguini is uh, Gusto's son. And then we see a little kind of clash of, of personality. Colette is a very hard worker who's been here for a while trying to become the next Gusto, but follows the recipes to a T, and then Remy is a rat who <laughs> does whatever the fuck he wants based on his sense of smell and succeeds. So there's a little clash there between personalities um, where eventually Colette will kind of learn like being a, a natural chef as opposed to following recipes and so forth. But really, it says in like like the movie's pushing a lot of points here that are really contradictive. Like it pushes Colette being follow the recipe, but it's also pushing the do your own thing. But then it says like you know gun violence is bad, but at the same time you shouldn't steal shit. Like you should own a gun and shoot things, but you shouldn't steal stuff. Very confusing throughout this entire. Picture. And the hero of the kitchen is a guy who claims he murdered a man with his thumb and did time in prison. That's yeah. True. So when we kind of learn about the the rest of the 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 staff in the kitchen they're all just this weird like expendables <laughs> level of misfits and criminals that now I man mean, this kitchen have have any of you guys actually worked in a kitchen <laughs> this would seem very believable if you had experience in a kitchen <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying lots of people in kitchens have done time well especially isn't one of the characters like he was part of the resistance we don't know which one because he works here <laughs> they must yeah. have lost <laughs> yeah i i like the character of colette she um she was framed very very differently and not just uh juxtaposed with Remy, but she's no nonsense. She's got a chip on her shoulder too, which is very different than uh, Linguini, who's 
kind of carefree. I guess I wouldn't say he's carefree, but he's he doesn't feel like he has something to prove like she does. And that's where a little level of resentment comes in, because like I said, she very hard worker, the the only female chef, and kind of is is still climbing her way up the ladder. And then Linguini, who is just the worst, stumbles yeah. his way and ham fists his way into this you know basically top chef position which i I find relatable because that's been my general career path as well (laughs) a rat in a hat and you just stumble (laughs) i'm a linguini in a world of colettes (laughs) i think uh i think that's a good segue though into the next section about linguini and colette so a little bit happens between then and there so you kind of threw me off with that statement, Jack. What were you thinking about going that direction? Yeah. I thought that was just the next section. Let me let me roll back. Mike, tell us about what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I flapped the unflappable. <laughs> oh shit, we got Mike off the rails. Okay. I I got this one. Alright, so after we're introduced to the staff and uh Linguini undergoes training. Remy continues to puppet master Linguini into making more dishes. Uh, All right, I'm back on track now. Keep going. Though. Yeah, get the fuck out of here, June. <laughs> <laughs> the union says Mike has to do so, this. So what happens because of this whole situation is the restaurant starts to get some a little bit more prowess, and it goes back into the news, and it comes to the, the light of the original critic who ended up causing Gusto to die. Um, his name is Ego. And Ego comes back into the... He's now interested now in what's going on with Gusto's restaurant due to Remy and Linguini, who have now been making these amazing dishes. And Colette has been training Linguini to actually be a proper chef, which really Remy's been learning through Linguini. Throughout the story, uh, Linguini starts to try to uh, get to know Colette a little bit better, and they he kind of falls in love with her. And... He almost gives away the secret that he has a rat under his hat that is causing him to be able to cook and controlling him, but he ends up falling in love and they they start to have a relationship. And that's what takes us in the next portion where Remy meets his family in Paris. They finally meet up with each other and find out that they're alive. And Remy's bringing his family back into the picture where Remy has his close ties to family, but at the same time he wants to be a chef, but he's struggling between the two worlds of being a chef and his family. And his family starts stealing food from the kitchen. And during the process of stealing food for his family, Remy finds out uh, in Gus- or in uh, Skinner's office, Gusto has a will that says Linguini is his son. And Remy steals that will and brings it to uh, Linguini and Colette. So now Linguini and Colette know that he is the son, he is the owner, and Skinner's out. So if you're listening along and think that maybe Mike skipped a couple steps in explaining how Skinner gets kicked out, you're wrong. (laughs) It just happens like that. Um, Remy steals the paperwork. There is a pretty good chase scene as uh, Scary Bilbo tries to get it back from him, but Remy escapes and all of a sudden Skinner's on the streets. So this is not... The Game of Thrones-like story of political machinations (laughs) and double-crossing that you may be expecting. It just kind of happens. So this is time-bound because according to the will, 
X amount of time must pass for no heir to the Gusto throne uh, emerges. I didn't know that's how legal documents worked. Yeah. At which point, the for the the former sous chef will become the rightful heir of Gusto's uh, restaurant, which is Skinner. That time is, I think they said it was three days from that point. Yep. I'm just saying if it were me and I get the one piece of incriminating documentation and three days from now I become the owner of this establishment, I'm just going to burn that letter. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's not like there was a notary public stamp on that letter. <laughs> like, <laughs> at this point, only one person, Skinner, knows about this letter. Because I think uh, Linguini's mother passed away, right? So really, what you need to do is, the lesson learned here is, write a bunch of letters, go around to businesses, and just hand them out saying you're the son of the dead owner. <laughs> you might get one. <laughs> they also drop a little line in the meeting, the second meeting with the lawyer, because he's like, yep, the DNA says that, because uh, he grabs one hair, and he goes, yep, I got it tested, that's definitely his son. I also found a rat hair. Or so, yeah, he, right. He drops a like there was also rat hair, and, and I was like, so Gusto was also a rat chef. <laughs> Where do you think Remy got it? I from? thought that, I thought it was gonna come out. I was like, how are they gonna tie that one in, or is it just gonna be like we're just supposed to sit and go, yep? Well, rats so are prior, it was, all the major no. kitchens we know of. No, no, it was no. Linguini's hair that showed up as rat hair. So leading up to this point, oh. Skinner has these weird what he thinks are visions of this rat. You know, mm -hmm. you see his uh, Linguini's hat get uh, some light shown through it, and he sees the outline of Remy, and so, but he can, you know, conveniently misses catching Remy, uh, but he has his suspicions. So when the lawyer gets hair from Linguini, there happened to be a rat hair in there. So wh where was the scene where he did that? No, I mean, it's it's implied, oh, right? Okay. So. The lawyer tells Skinner to get some hair samples of Linguini, which he presumably does. And then as a last, like, revelation to Skinner, the lawyer says, yeah, it's just weird, weirdest thing. I had to get this hair tested twice because the first time they said it was rodent hair. And that sparks Skinner to be like, or suddenly come to the realization that this rat is doing that something makes with. makes much more sense than a cabal of rat chefs operating five-star restaurants <laughs> so i want i just want to confirm your original thesis here were you saying that every head chef in paris actually was a rat megazord <laughs> now that would make this movie just a little bit better i think you are the only only person in the history of ratatouille to misconstrue that <laughs> i'm now envisioning the crossover between Ratatouille and Pacific Thunder. Pacific Thunder. Pacific Pacific Rim. Did you Pacific just... Rim. <laughs> okay. Um, there's actually something uh, else. I think we. Oh, the the big falling out that happens before this, right? No, it no, because Linguini little... and Colette get together. The falling out happens after because it's before they're serving ego is when the falling out happens right okay so i guess whether at, at the same time as this or slightly before um linguini and colette get get real friendly and the the one line that kind of sparked the jealousy in in 
Remy was he's being Linguini's being interviewed for his newfound popularity and they kind of ask like what where did this inspiration come from or whatever and he drops Colette's name and mm. that uh causes resentment in Remy and then they have a big falling out that leads up to it but it's weird that that's the falling out portion cuz really as a rat like he knows that he cannot present himself like he's a part of this whole like ploy why is he mad at Linguini for not being able to be like, oh, it's a rat? It's a right. rat controlling me. That's I think it's silly. Um, I mean, I think the interview that Linguini does with the press is maybe the straw that breaks the camel's back. But I think uh, there's definitely like a real sentiment of Remy being taken for granted and Linguini kind of acting like he did everything. Like, of course, you know, he's not going to say, like, oh, a rat's cooking to the press, like that. But at the same time, like, he's taking credit for everything for a quick second. And Remy is mad because he has to be or else the movie would be boring. And it's the yeah. classic, like, movie friendship thing, right? Like, oh, yeah. two, two best friends get separated by a significant other that enters into the mix. Well, it, st it stays pretty common themed here. It goes over pretty quick. So what ends up happening is Remy gets mad at Linguini because he wasn't, you know, he didn't give the limelight to him. So to get back at Linguini, Remy has his family, his, you know, thousand rat family show up and brings him into the restaurant after hours to steal all the food out of the kitchen. And Linguini comes back, finds Remy, catches him in the act and kicks Remy out and just tells him not to come back. Again, classic movie trope because uh, Linguini comes back to apologize to Remy before discovering the the sliding that Re uh, Remy did, and then and then realizes he needs Remy to cook, and then brings him back into his family right afterwards. Yeah, so that that was the point there. Like, I get it. There's you. There was a lot of betrayal going on, a lot of you know revenge plots, what have you. But, like, if I was Linguini and I can't cook worth shit, I would probably not cast out the the one thing that would save me from the, the biggest food critic ever coming the next night. Like, what did he think he was going to do? <laughs> no, I, I will say, like, the weakest part of this movie is kind of the middle to right up to where the end heroics kind of happen. Because it, it just feels like the accelerator pedal is just down. Like, Colette and Linguini, their love just kind of happens. We don't ever see them really, like, flirt or, like, just a little bit. We don't even see it. They just, she teaches him, he listens, and then he kisses her and she's like, oh, this is cool. Well, it makes sense if you think about it this way. This movie's being presented from Patton Oswalt. He's, he's kind of the narrator of this film. So it's really rat years. As you know, opposed to like dog years to humans, so rat lives for like five years, so everything's kind of sped up. So it makes sense in that way. Well, you know what? From that perspective, it makes sense why the linguini portions are cut out because you know Remy wasn't really there for all that. But all right, tell us more about what happens to uh, Remy as he gets kicked out. All right, so Remy gets kicked out after stealing all the food. Goes back to this whole thing about stealing's bad. They're really nailing this home. Um, so he goes back out to the alleyway where his his brother, who's this, you know, kind of a stupid rat, is just eating some garbage. And there's a trap that uh, Remy saves his brother from falling into. And it's Skinner who has been chasing 
Remy this entire time. He's convinced that Remy's real, and he catches Remy and puts him in the back of his car and tells him that like he's going to keep him in his cage so he can cook for him and make frozen food for his for his uh, conglomerate of food industry. Um, and that's where Remy gets like kind of kidnapped as a rat. <laughs> let me let me pause here for a second. Skinner up to this point has a baseline knowledge of what could possibly be going on. He knows there <laughs> that uh, Linguini has befriended a rat, and that's it. Yeah, he takes a real jump <laughs> to be like. I'm going to kidnap this rat and he's going to cook for me for all my frozen food franchise. I don't think he ever saw I don't think he ever saw Remy cook at all. Nope, never. No, he didn't. Nope. <laughs> I don't even know what hint he would have had that Remy was behind the cooking. Yeah, there's there's none. Like and even when he gets Linguini drunk, Linguini doesn't tell him anything. Hold on, there was one scene where Skinner was spying on the uh, after Linguini got the restaurant. Link, Skinner was on the roof looking through the uh, like the glass ceiling and saw Linguini take the rat out back and said, take a break, you need to like chill out. And then Skinner did pet. say, no, but did, Skinner did say, he's the rat's been cooking the entire time. As opposed to the realization that any other human would make is, oh, wow, this guy's kind of a psychopath and is, is talking to rats. <laughs> rats, right? <laughs> I mean, I think the logical conclusion is that even though Linguini is clumsy, he's a good cook. It's more plausible than <laughs> I mean, pulling he, his hair. It would be easier because he is the son of a famous chef. You'd be like, oh, he's got what his dad had. Like, nope, it <laughs> so must that be that rat. does bring me to another point. Um, that's another thing really worth highlighting. In the interview, um, one of the things that offends Remy so much is they were asking Linguini how he was able to cook. And he also says, I guess it's just in my blood, which is kind of counter to the idea that anyone can cook that Gusto was super about. Ah, uh, wow. Yeah. So that was another thing that really offended Remy. It wasn't just saying it was Colette that inspired him, but it was kind of insinuating that it was genetic that he could cook, not that anyone could cook. And also kind of contrary. So initially when... Remy finds himself in Paris at the restaurant. He's looking and saying that uh, Linguini had just showed up and was just being a general shithead in the kitchen, tripping over everything and knocking pots over. And uh, his inner Gusto was saying, well, he could cook. Anyone can cook. And Remy's like, that guy? No. And uh, his inner Gusto kind of talks him out of it and convinces him that really Linguini could cook. So it kind of really irks Remy when Linguini says that it was just because he was a Gusto. Hmm. Thank you, Jack, for the one insight of this entire episode. <laughs> yep, we can move on to being shitheads now. <laughs> <laughs> I also like the, uh, or I guess we haven't gotten there yet, the the big reveal, right? Oh, yeah. The the last part, after Mike you know describes it, is my favorite part. Like, once they get back together, I guess. Yeah. I think it's a little bit before they make up. Because I think they make up during the the big scene at the end, but that wanna, that's the best part that of the down. movie. My favorite part of the movie, once Mike describes it, is let me describe it. That's what you just did. <laughs> How dare you? That's gonna Cut. be a yellow card for Shane. Oh come on! That's for unnecessary. I'm cutting all of, of this. The narrator. I'm cutting all of this. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> Three, two, one. 
Alright, so after that <laughs> little analysis, so after Remy gets kicked back out, he comes back, and after he gets saved by his family, he returns to the restaurant to help Linguini serve the food to the film, to the food critic. When he shows up, the staff sees him, and they try to attack Remy, and Linguini stands up for Remy and says that he's now revealing that his secret has been that Remy has been controlling him this entire time. And everybody quits immediately as soon as they see that this this rat has been controlling Linguini. Rightfully so. <laughs> right. It is pretty fucking bonkers. <laughs> right. So now it's up to Linguini now to cook himself for Ego, the critic who is now in the restaurant. And he gives up. He essentially goes into his office and sits down and he says it can't happen. This is where it gets kind of like food inspector kind of disgusting is where... Remy has his entire rat family help him cook the meal for the restaurant and kind of like save the day with his rat family. Um, during this time, a health inspector shows up and they throw him into the fridge. They, they, <laughs> the rats tie him up and throw him in a fridge. And Remy ends up directing his rat family to all the stations of this restaurant and cooks this amazing meal for everybody in this restaurant. Colette comes back. Because she sees a she's she she ran away in anger and sees the book by Gusto saying anybody can cook and that changes her mind. She, I guess that means rats too can cook. So she comes back to the restaurant to help out with the whole ordeal and makes up with with a with a linguini and they manage to like pull it out and they make the meal for this guy and they end up choosing ratatouille, which is this peasant's meal, and uh, Remy makes it. He doesn't do it by the recipe. He kind of pulls it out of the hat again, and he makes this amazing meal, and the critic just loves it. Before we get into the critic's reaction, because I think that's um, yeah worth its own section, but I think the best way to describe the rats that come in to help is as legions of rats. <laughs> just to describe it, they they march in formation into a dishwasher where they all just get dunked to sanitize them which is something at least <laughs> and march out together and get like assigned off to different spots in the kitchen and um i want to say i'm not an incredible cook or anything but there's more <laughs> to cooking than just stirring food and putting ingredients in there's a little <laughs> bit of technique too and i'm slightly dubious that legions of rats could pick up this technique on the spot <laughs> All white actively kidnapping people. <laughs> well, they dedicated a special kidnapping squad. That's right. <laughs> um, to intro this, what I forget, why did Remy come back? In the trunk of Skinner's car, before he was rescued, he was chatting with his inner Gusto, the vision of Gusto that he talks with sometimes. That's right. And who told him that, I don't know, gave him a pep talk and said, you're a cook go cook that's right and then his dad is like you're not like us you belong in the kitchen and then and they they free remy by dropping giant rat gargoyles onto this car <laughs> yeah. and bust him out and the we see a change in demeanor from the the rat family who now see his his way i guess and yeah. uh the classic kind of pixar like hallmark moment where colette sees the the book has a change of heart i, I mean 
we've seen this same yeah. technique over and over, especially with Pixar movies. I want to mention that the thing that sways um, Remy's dad isn't that Remy, you know, is a cook or anything, but it's that uh, Linguini stands up for him in front of other people. Because this entire movie, the the conflict between Remy and his dad hasn't been that like Remy wants to cook and his dad, who's named Django, by the way, um, it's not that he doesn't want him to or disapproves. It's that he thinks associating with people and hanging around them will just get Remy killed. Oh, well, that's right. Go to the, the, the rat store. Yeah. Yeah. They so in, in a scene earlier, um, to dissuade Remy from hanging around people, his dad takes him to like a an exterminator that has like a bunch of dead rats in the window. <laughs> yeah. Like hanging, yeah. yeah, hanging, swinging from from rat. Yeah, they're like splayed out and like that would not only be off putting for rats but people. Like, can you imagine if you went to like what's a big exterminator? But like, you just went to their corporate store and they just had rats' heads on pikes <laughs> outside their door. Um. Anyway, so that's that's really what uh, sways Remy's dad is um, just the fact that this human stands up for Remy and shows that, like, well, being around humans isn't... They're not all just trying to get you killed. Yeah. yeah. Um, Pretty classic. Yeah, classic Pixar, you know. I also think it's, it's kind of nice in that it ties up um, Colette's arc here too, where she shows up and she's like, this is an old recipe. This is bad. And they're like, well, we're not going to go by the recipe. And she kind of learns and comes around and goes from being an overly rigid person to someone who can improvise. And Linguini once again is just along for the ride. <laughs> He's just I mean, riding I think on it's the coattails nice. of everyone's success. Well, Linguini also has his own little development moment where he's like, you know, I can't cook, but I can wait tables in the dinner rush and somehow straps on roller skates and yeah, I, and I just was, sonics it. Which was weird. Like, I feel like they could have set him up as like a waiter that wanted to be a chef and then he discovers Remy. But like, that would have made that scene make more sense on why he's so good at waiting. But whatever. Yeah, but I think it would have kind of dropped any credence to the anyone can cook line you didn't see the prequel to the anyone can cook book that anyone can be <laughs> anyone <wait> can staff. <laughs> <laughs> i think um part of me was thinking and i didn't i haven't seen this movie before of course i know it by reputation but part of me was wondering if there would be a scene where uh remy becomes a cook in his own right um just by or sorry linguini becomes a cook in his own right by association with remy and I'm kind of glad they didn't do that because it would have felt a little trite and convenient for him to become a good cook too. I feel like, yeah. I think you could have met it in the middle, like something at the end where, you know, uh, Linguini's able to like make something simple. Like, he's oh, like, you I know. got the toast. <laughs> yeah, he's like starting to starting to get the hang of it. Look, I made peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There could have been a happy middle ground. Yeah. Well, is there anything else we want to say about this before we talk about the finale? Could you, could you imagine? Because, you know, people in high society at these restaurants often are like, I want to see the chef or whatever. <laughs> there, there's just no suspicion that there's literally no talking going on in the kitchen 
just a bunch of squeaking. <laughs> it's an army of rats. <laughs> That's true. It would have been an awfully silent kitchen. Because from my limited knowledge of Hell's Kitchen, it, it gets pretty loud in there. <laughs> All right, Mike, tell us about what happens when Anton Ego gets his dish. At the end of this film, Remy ends up deciding to cook uh, ratatouille, which is a, a peasant's dish. And they deliver it to Ego, and he tastes it and immediately just loves it. And there's a little flashback of his childhood, and it apparently has, like, related to him growing up as a poor person in France. And afterwards, he asks to see the chef. And that's where Linguini and Colette come out and explain to him that this entire time it has been a rat Remy cooking their meals. So the last portion of this movie is Ego as this critic learning about this, you know, crazy story about a rat being a chef and ends up writing a really good review about them. Doesn't bring up the fact that it's a rat, doesn't go into anything else besides the detail of the meal was reminding him of a pastime and a critic is somebody who is easily able to give a bad review, but it's even harder to give a good review. And that's the... The conclusion of the movie is that their restaurant is closed down due to health reasons because a, a plethora of rats have been cooking food. Yeah, they couldn't just leave the health inspector in the freezer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and at the very last scene, it is that now Remy and Linguini are now working for Colette in her restaurant. So let me let me dive a little deeper into this portion. Um, Ego, as a challenge, says bring me out whatever the chef wants to like you know surprise me skinner overhearing this says i want what he's having so they both get ratatouille and uh skinner is equally impressed by the dish and barges into the kitchen saying all right who cooked this and he immediately gets tied up and thrown in the same freezer as the health health inspector (laughs) (laughs) the health inspector that he called yeah yeah and uh, Ego, again, like Mike said, asked to see the chef. And they come out and they tell him, we will let you meet the chef, but after all the other guests have left. So Ego sits there throughout the rest of dinner for hours. Just, <laughs> just getting drunk bored, drinking wine. <laughs> yep. And they, they do the big reveal. And on the point of the, the restaurant getting shut down, I don't know that it would have. Because imagine you're the health inspector. You who get freed. <laughs> you rush back to your whatever, whoever is employing you and say, an army of rats is cooking the food for in this restaurant. They tied me up and locked me up in the freezer for hours. And you make <laughs> like, a good point. I, I think the next thing would have happened was a piss test. Yeah, right. <laughs> and to to go on that further, you know, he now knows that rats are capable of destroying his car at will, tying him up and kidnapping him. Does he really want to piss off this legion of rats anymore? Like, I think I'd just flee Paris. <laughs> Where's the scientific article explaining that rats have sentience and able to, like, actually cook meals with thumbs? <laughs> on the note of science, after reviewing, like, the stuff about this movie, there's a super giant buff rat that upon review i guess was a lab rat that was subject to like, what oh yeah he has the trials. tag on his ear 
Yeah, the <laughs> giant rat. <laughs> oh, I missed that. <laughs> I didn't catch that on the first time through, but yeah, that's, that's a lab, lab rat. Um, <laughs> though, I, I think your point's right, June, that no one in their right mind would believe that report. Yeah. But I like that because it just felt like great follow through on the story, like Chekhov's gun or whatever. They loaded that gun, rats cooked the entire meal. And instead of just saying, oh, yeah, and they lived happily ever after, they said, well, yep, the restaurant got shut down because rats. Yeah, that's true. If it didn't get shut down, we would be here bitching that's about true. how it didn't shut get that shut thing down. down. <laughs> <laughs> also, I love when Ego takes a bite and, like, just gets transported back to being a child as he sees. That, that was a good scene. You're just like, oh, yeah. he's just sitting there, just like crying. You're like, he does have he, like, a heart. comes in with like a scraped knee off his bike, and his mom makes him ratatouille. And I thought that was the best scene. I also really loved his speech, which was it had a lot in it. It kind of reminded me of like the Teddy Roosevelt one, where he says it's not the critic that counts, but the man in the arena, know, the person. Who, yeah, the man in the arena. That's that must be the inspiration from that speech. And um, I think the the one thing that was really kind of profound about it and that changed Eco is that he says, uh, there's one way though that the critic can match the sacrifice like the person who makes something to put in front of the critic makes. And that's by recommending something new and unknown at the cost of my personal reputation. And at the end of the day, after the restaurant gets shut down, he loses it all more or less, he loses his job because he recommended <laughs> Gusto's restaurant so highly, but he's happier for it. He's not a critic anymore. He just happily eats food. At I mean, there must be some, some hell of ratatouille because he gave up his job and also changed his entire demeanor toward being a critic. He was just, throughout the entire movie, just an asshole. Yeah, I don't think the intent was to lose his job, but because he reviewed a place that got shut down by his health inspectors, it just kind of happened. I I think there was an awareness, though. Like it, it almost explicitly states that he's betting his reputation on it. I don't know that he expects to lose his job, but he says, you know, as a critic, I'm putting my faith in something that's unproven, which is risky for a critic. Also, a fun little exercise you can do while he's doing that speech: look up Yelp one-star Yelp reviews of restaurants around your area. <laughs> as, as he's like, it is the critic who it's easier to say negative things. They wash their feet in the sinks they use for the pasta. <laughs> you know what this did remind me of, though, is the reviews of cats. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did think of that too <laughs> where he says uh scathing reviews are fun to read and to write and i'm just thinking of the reviews of cats saying <laughs> just like the one-line reviews that say something went wrong <laughs> or like, the worst thing to happen to cats since dogs <laughs> <laughs> or it's just a one uh a competition of one-upmanship to who can write the most scathing review yeah yeah so there's something about this movie that I was thinking about when watching it. Like I liked it as like a movie, but I I kind of want like, what? Why is it important in like the genre of best movies? It doesn't make sense to me. Like it was fun to watch, but what what hit you guys for like actually hitting it as like a best movie of 250? Well, where I rank this is something that's yet to be discussed. I think there are some things that 
um, definitely set it apart, particularly for its time. Like, the animation is aged really well. The physical comedy is great, right? Like, we've all seen terrible animated movies. It's not easy to make a movie that is physically funny, like, relies on physical humor in the same way that, like, the Marx Brothers did. Like, it's tough to execute and make it feel real. And you could tell me this movie was made in, like, 2015, and I'd believe it, not 2007. Yeah, uh, to Mike's point, though, I do kind of agree. Like, I this is, the, I think, the second or third time I've seen it, and I remember it being better the first time. It's not a bad movie, but, like, yeah, it seems almost average for a Pixar film. I, that's kind of saying a lot, though, because Pixar does always hit pretty much a home run, usually. But, yeah, it's not the best I've seen. I guess what I was trying to say was, when it comes to this movie, the way I remember it as, it's a movie. And that's all that comes out of my, like, it's just, it's it's a movie. It's a cute movie. Like, yeah. it's, it's a movie. I think there's something to be said for the way Pixar constructs plots. Um, there's always, they always kind of are able to hit a few kind of profound notes. Like, um, there's always something that's pretty relatable. They're always kind of able to hit on very, like, universal, very human themes. Gun control. But they also, (laughs) right. Um, But they also kind of do it in a very tame, not very boundary pushing kind of way. So, so Pixar as a whole, like Shane said, typically a home run every time. There's some sort of good moral, and it's it's executed well in the sense that the targeting audience is children. But there's always something for the adults to enjoy. Um, and Ratatouille had that. But I, I think what sets Ratatouille aside is it's so unique, right? And it's clever, like, just from the play on words of Ratatouille. Like, it, it's very clever. Um, who would Who would think of this, you know? <laughs> True. Well, if we go back to the 1920s ability to make movies, you come up with a sentence and you develop a movie around that <laughs> sentence. So somebody thought, Ratatouille, how can I make a movie about Ratatouille? <laughs> somebody at Pixar said, oh, anyone can cook. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other Pixar thing is there's always some inspiring message. I think that's that's to Pixar's credit. Like, Could you imagine pitching this movie? All right, we're going to do a movie about rats that can control humans to cooking five-star dishes, <laughs> right? Like, but somehow they, they pulled it off into, into an adorable movie um, that was a lot of fun. Honestly, envisioning what pitch days at Pixar are like, that is probably the least crazy thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, let's, let's quickly review. Fish gets lost, and his dad tries to find him. Um, like we <laughs> <That's> said, <laughs> anthropomorphic cars... Monsters power their cities by scaring children and harvesting their screams. But one discovers that making children laugh is better. Um, Incredibles actually seems like the most straight-up movie that I can think of from them. Uh, Three Toy Stories, two cars. Senior citizens use balloons to travel to South America. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Honestly, though, like Jackie kind of just sold all of Pixar to me. Those all sound great. <laughs> they just get a high and just say like, "What if 
What if rats cooked our food? <laughs> let, let, let me get this right. Are we saying that Pixar is a bunch of stoners? You'd have to be. For, for the you also said ideas. that this movie claimed that every chef in Paris was controlled by a rat. <laughs> I want to see Ratatouille too. <laughs> all right, hear me out. What if all the animators at Pixar are controlled by rats? And this was the movie they made to try and clue us all in. This is just a piece of rat propaganda. <laughs> rat propaganda. Uh, trying to warm us up to the idea that rats can be people too. <laughs> Equal rights. <laughs> Equal rats. So I I will say on your uh your animation point, Jack, I uh I could definitely see it a little dated. Which is not a discredit to this film, but a credit to how far we've come in such a short time. Because I, I kind of mentally put all Pixar movies on a phenomenal animation level. But uh, going into the opening scene of this, I was like, wow, this looks, uh, looks a little bit, little bit dated. That's true. Compared like, to like Wreck-It Ralph or like Inside Out. Yeah, there's just it was missing that kind of like HDR effect and... I, I don't know. I, but I feel like it would pass for five years old, not a- Absolutely. 13. Yeah. So this is you a... You know what's sad? This is a side note. Sorry. Um, I was watching this This is totally film. worth cutting Mike off for. Yeah, that's that's side notes. That's what we oh do. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Mike, what were you saying? No, no. No, go ahead. No. Right. <laughs> I'll side Fine note it later. You've interrupted us all. <clears throat> so I was just going to say, on a side note... That I think, like, as a movie. <laughs> this is made in 2007, right? Yes. yes. It did not feel like a 2007 movie. It felt like a 2013, 2014 movie. Yeah. yeah. On, a, on a side note. Yes, Shane. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> You're recognized. On the note of Pixar making great films, I was watching it and I was like, God, I was remembering DreamWorks films that I liked, and like Shrek, and I thought that was Pixar. <laughs> I just incorporate any good animated movie is probably made by Pixar. Is that yes. your? Is that your, your? What you compare to is Shrek. I fucking <laughs> love Shrek. Movie. Uh, On the note of animation not aging well, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Shrek. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's, that's Came out when old. MS Paint was a thing. Um. All right. So, any other thoughts on the the totality of the movie now that we've talked our way through the entire thing? So with no other thoughts, I want to take some time to answer some questions from our listeners. And by that, I mean the good people of Yahoo Answers, mostly posted in 2007. So we'll talk about some things that uh, these users asked. We'll answer them ourselves and we'll correct the record, as you might say. So first up from Anonymous from one decade ago. Hi, Anonymous. Hi, Anonymous. Ratatouille or The Simpsons movie? Oh, boy. I'm just going to the movies by myself today and was wondering which of these movies I will enjoy more. I just want to see something light and funny, which is why I chose these two. Which is better? Which will I enjoy more being alone? Thanks. Red flags. (laughs) Going to the movies alone. Want something lighthearted. You probably shouldn't go to a children's film as an adult alone. Like, that's, that's already just red flags. But, uh, did the Simpsons movie really come out in 2007? 
that's what I was about to say. These were, they came out the same time because I definitely consider Simpsons a lot older than Ratatouille. I, I thought so yeah. too. The Simpsons movie did come out two thousand seven. Wow. Huh. <laughs> All right, I can answer this question. Go see Big Fish. <laughs> yes. All right. Stay home. Next question: um, Is the movie Ratatouille good for three year olds? Several people have told me that it is a truly nice, harmless story that our whole family, including said three and a half year old, could watch together. But I'm worried since many kids' shows have violence and bratty or mean characters and violence. <laughs> if, you, if you're concentrating on violence, Ratatouille is not for your three year old. He may get Does your three year old enjoy domestic violence <laughs> or guns? <Yeah. laughs> the- Larceny, kidnapping. It may send some mixed messages. About indentured servitude. That's like all themes of this whole like, Ratatouille. Also, <laughs> how low is this user's bar on violence when they're like, I don't know, man. Pixar films are just a little violent for kids. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, lady or man. All right. Final question from Bill W. from one decade ago. Why did they give the movie Ratatouille? That's in quotes. A name that is so hard. To spell and pronounce. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I guess if you'd had no knowledge of French or English, I guess. Rotal. <laughs> Rotal. Well, 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 Bill, the bourgeoisie is out to get you, and they're going to make you learn what you need to do. Why don't they just call this movie Rat Chef? <laughs> <laughs> Cook rat. <laughs> Cook rat. <laughs> Just like other hit movies like Robocop. <laughs> I feel like that's right up his alley. There you go, Bill. <laughs> Stick to Robocop. Yeah, go see Robocop and not Ratul. <laughs> All right. Now let's talk a, a bunch of random stuff about the movie's success and production. So, minor note we talked about how Scary Bilbo, aka. Um, Ian Holm was cast as Skinner, but anyone want to guess who was offered that role before Ian Holm was? Oh, um, who was the uh, guy from? Uh, uh... Just fucking tell us, Peter Dinklage, French? you philistines. Oh, Peter Peter Dinklage. Huh. Yeah, I think he could have been fun. He's he's not French. You could have picked anybody with a f- really bad French accent. <laughs> that True. The character is irrelevant. <laughs> So this movie was made on a budget of $150 million, which is probably our highest so far, um, and made $620 million, so smashing success, of course. It won an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature, nominated for four more. So this may be our most critically successful movie so far. <laughs> Isn't that Someone correct me if I'm wrong here. Now, what was it going up against? The animated movie market is not a hugely competitive one. Like it's pretty much Pixar and maybe DreamWorks makes one. What are you? You are okay. This is where we're going back to our introduction, where you don't know the fuck we're talking what? about. That's bullshit that you just every said there. year. All right, the animated market would be anim. Yes, it's Pixar animated. So, oh, dude, it's so big. Here <laughs> are the movies that it was up against at the 80th Academy Awards: Persepolis an adult animated film about the Iranian revolution and surfs up. There you go. The one about the surfing penguin. I think, I think Mike is misunderstanding Shane's point. Uh, 
I don't think he's saying that animated films are not competitive. I think he's saying that Pixar has no competition in the animated yeah, market. Yeah, so they're going to win the award every year. All they have to do is make a movie. All right, we'll take a backseat. But uh, we did find out what triggers Mike. <laughs> <laughs> the arts. You know what suck? Animated films. <laughs> you son of a bitch! <laughs> uh. All right, this is your chance to set the record straight, Mike. This is a section where we rank the movie among the others we've seen thus far. So, so far, we've seen how many movies? We've seen eight movies. And Mike has seen nine because he watched Sleuth twice. (laughs) (laughs) It's really fucking up the spreadsheet here. So, Mike, this is your opportunity. And I can remind anyone of their rankings if you need them handy. But, Mike, where do you rank this movie? Uh, All right, so this movie is going to... It's going to fall between Sleuth, 1972, and Sin City for me. It's going to be right in the middle, um, a little bit lower on the edge, and only has to do with the fact that the first time I watched it, I really enjoyed it. The second time I watched it, I was a little bit bored. So it's going to it's gonna fall You short. like the straight story more than this? I, I honestly like the straight story more than <laughs> Rad hey, TV. Because it was. It has to do with the fact that I was... It, it's the second time I've watched it. Jack, you haven't seen this before. I've seen it before. The second time I watched it, I really thought it was kind of boring. All right. You know, I usually go last, but I'll follow this up. It was my first time watching it, and I also kind of find it boring. And now I find myself in a conundrum because I think it was better than The Straight Story, but worse than Sin City. But I've already ranked The Straight Story ahead of Sin City. So I'm putting it at number three after Sleuth. It was it was a good movie. So Jack has realized he doesn't like his list anymore. <laughs> He's gonna move everything around now. <laughs> I like my list. I'm not changing it. I'm slotting in it at number three, behind Big Fish and Sleuth, ahead of the Straight Story. That's pretty prominent. That's pretty good. It was a good movie, but it didn't blow me away. Shane, what do you think? It's kind of in the middle of the pack on this one, but. I did enjoy it, so I was going to do... It's tough, because I rank it on what I watch it again. And Sin City, yeah, but... God, I'm not going to keep watching Sin City over and over again, or I'm just going to cut myself. Um, or just take another nap through it? <laughs> yeah. Ratatouille I would, though. So it's Yeah, I'm going to do it under Sleuth, just above Sin City. So that put it three for me. Interesting. June, where do you put it? Oh, man. This is, this is tough. This is the one I actually want to hear. I, I went into this thinking that I was going to have a tough time deciding between this and Big Fish. But I'm having more of a time struggling between Sling Blade and this. <laughs> <laughs> this is really a podcast indicting the underappreciation of the movie Big Fish. I I think I'm going to put it at number two. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Well, the first time I watched this, I was coherent enough to, to appreciate it. And that, that kind of like childlike innocence still sticking with me on this. And I, I just, I really like this movie. So you were I'm going to put it at number two. 16 no. in 2007 when this came out. Yep. Childlike. You still had childlike innocence. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, the innocence of mid teenage. <laughs> Smoking cigarettes and dipping spit. (laughs) Oh, we were so innocent back then.
Now, I want to highlight for our listeners that this has been hyped up for us. We've been wondering if this would be the day that something beat Big Fish, but Big Fish remains. Undefeated. Yeah. Final verdict. Would you recommend to our listeners that they watch this movie? June? Absolutely. Shane? Um, Don't think about it. It's a good oh, movie. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You calm down. <laughs> yeah, go see it. Mike? Watch it once. It's good. <laughs> I'd recommend it. It's a good movie. Even twice. What? But not not back to back. That just right. seems like a mistake. <laughs> so, a little bit behind the scenes. I actually watched this movie not knowing it was on the list two weeks ago. Yeah, my, my nephew made me watch it like a few weeks ago too. And I was like, oh, wow, this was fun. But then I realized I didn't watch the whole thing because my nephew's two. Really? I think that's what jaded us. Yeah. Fuck, I love Big Fish. Right. Well, we'll be back next week to talk more about Big Fish on Big Fish, <laughs> the podcast about Big Fish. <laughs> what are we doing yeah, next, what week? Is next week? We are doing 2013's Her, starring Joaquin Ooh. Phoenix. Oh, oh, I have legitimately boy. not seen this one. <laughs> I have not seen it either. That's... I think Mike is the only one that has, right? Oh, I really? Yeah. Oh, man, I'm, I only know I'm this so movie by reputation, but I'm buckling in for a weird time. Yeah, it's gonna be a good one. <laughs> it's no. got ScarJo. It, it's got it's got ScarJo for sure, and it's got Joaquin, so we're gonna have a fun time. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. You'll hear us talk about it. And with that, bye. <laughs>